Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done unto him. And he said, Curse be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. And we're looking... Friends, tonight at this uh, passage at the end of chapter 9, and my uh, title for this evening is Cursed uh, Be Canaan, Cursed Be Canaan, from verse uh, 25. We'll come to that uh, in uh, due time. But what's put before us here in this passage really is a a recommencement of that enmity that exists between the godly and the ungodly, the godly line and the ungodly line. We saw it was in place, that enmity was there uh, before the flood. Now with a new world, one with a thought of, could have hoped certainly things will be for the better. Man has a chance to start all over again and he has a chance really to put things right which were amiss. And one would have hoped that this would be a chance now after all this that God had done for the righteous to flourish, the righteous to advance and for there there to be no opposition. Well, of course, the world was renovated and things were new. It was a new world, but yet man, as we read, his heart is still unchanged. He's still wicked. He's still prone uh, to sin. And even though things around him have changed, the environment is new, man is, is still basically a sinner unless he has come to faith in Christ. Man is the problem, always is the problem in this, in this fallen world. It's not so much the environment that's the problem, man is the problem. And no matter where you put, uh, put, put him, he causes trouble and is the trouble. We always say this world would be fine if there were no people in it. You know, our workplaces would be great places if we didn't have anyone to work with, no colleagues to work with. Because wherever you've got people, you're going to have issues, you're going to have problems. Neighbours aren't always the best neighbours, they cause trouble sometimes. Uh, and we all know this. We ourselves maybe have been <laughs> the cause even of trouble uh, to others. But the, the, the basic thing here, friends, man is the problem. It's not our environment. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to do, to, uh, to deal 
with that problem of man and sin and bring him and change him, bring him to faith in himself and to change him. But here we see the resumption of this enmity between the godly and the ungodly, the church and the world will always be at loggerheads right up until the time of the Lord's coming. Well, in verse 18, here we see the three sons of Noah are again mentioned, but alongside them, uh, of course, is mentioned there in, in, in uh, verse 18, Ham is the father of uh, Canaan. The sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Why is he mentioned? Well, he's going to uh, come into uh, this narrative. He's going to be he's mentioned two or three times here, and he's the, going to be the focus of the curse which falls upon uh, Ham's lineage, or uh, which is via Canaan. But we'll come uh, to that in a minute. Through these three uh, men and their families, as we've said before, the whole world is to be uh, populated. All the nations of the world will come uh, through them. But look here firstly in verses 20 and 21. A rather sad event takes place. A very uh, a sorry uh, thing is, is recorded for, for us here, and that is uh, Noah's fall. Noah, the righteous man that he was, began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his uh, tent. He began to do what most likely he had been doing before uh, the flood, and that was farming and uh, a tiller of the ground. And here, once again, uh, maybe he had to put that on hold before the flood while he was building the ark, took up the job of a carpenter, an engineer sort of, of sorts, you could say. Well, now he picks up again where he left off. This was uh, uh, something that he was uh, familiar with, and he uh, plants a, a vineyard, and when the time comes, well, he drinks of the fruit of it, as he's perfectly entitled to do. But perhaps he's, he's drunk too much. He drinks of it. Perhaps he, he likes the taste uh, of it, and so he drinks a bit more, and he enjoys it, and he drinks a little bit more, and before we know it, it's gone to his head, and he's uh, overpowered uh, by the drink. Well, that may have happened in that way, or it may have been that he just was unaware uh, that, uh, of the strength and the power of that, uh, of that wine that he was drinking. He, uh, maybe he did it by accident, because he was a righteous man, and he, we find it hard to think he would have gone out uh, at, uh, to get drunk, but he may, uh, have he may have underestimated the potency of that which, which he was drinking. But either way, he was easily overcome by it, it seems. And either way, well, he was also at fault. And we, he's, he's, we cannot say that he is without blame. So there he was, alone in his tent and drunken. And not only that, he was, we read here, that he was, uh, he was naked. He was uncovered uh, in uh, his uh, tent. And in verse 21, we can see that. He was, uh, there he was uncovered, naked, in that shameful uh, position really on the ground, very embarrassing position in that drunken stupor. He didn't really know maybe what he was doing. And also, maybe it was too hot, some people suggest, and he threw off his garments. But it's a sorry condition for this man of God. 
to be found in this sort of gutter-like position. And one who, after all, was known for, his, for being perfect in his generation. A righteous man, we read a couple of times at least in the, in the text of Scripture. And yet now he has this stain on his character. Our friends, immediately, it's a lesson, isn't it, for us all. Here was Noah. He walked for so many years uh, with the Lord. What a courageous man he was. He's not afraid to preach uh, in the midst of opposition. He wasn't afraid to stand alone for the Lord when the whole world was basically against him. He preached without a fear. And he had that personal and unparalleled deliverance as well uh, in the ark. And yet even he, even he after all those things and after such a stand falls in this way. And it's a, a lesson for us also to take heed, to watch and pray uh, lest uh, we fall. You know that scripture, uh, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed uh, lest he fall. If Noah was overtaken in such a fall, well the same may happen to us if we leave off watching if we leave off praying, if we leave off being concerned about sanctification, sin, uh, temptation suddenly comes upon us and we may be taken unawares. The best of us, it may happen, uh, happen to the best of us, the best of us are not exempt uh, from falling. You know, many people say, it'll never happen to me. It'll never happen to me. And then it does. Then it does. That's not a good thing to say. It will never happen to me. I often find if you say something, I'll never do that, uh, you'll, you'll be tempted and tested and tried in that particular area uh, when, you, when you come up with bold and brash statements like that. It's better possibly, pre preferably to say, it may happen to me. I'll be careful. I have to be careful of uh, any sin which may affect me, even those sins which I think have gotten the, I've gotten the victory over, uh, may come back to try and make me fall. So uh, this is what happened uh, to, to Noah. But look what his son, his youngest son, Ham, uh, did. He uh, went into the tent and he saw his father in this state. And when, when he saw him, he then uh, didn't keep the information to himself. He then went out and told his two elder brothers all about what he had seen. Now, on the face of it, it seems like, you know, a very small thing. Okay, he's, he's been like disrespectful, it seems, uh, to his uh, father. And he's gone out and he maybe should have kept the information to himself instead of telling uh, his, uh, his brothers. But the judgment that came subsequently on Ham and on Canaan, well, is it really, why is it so severe? When you look at it on the face of it, it doesn't seem such a bad, it's, it's sin, but it doesn't seem to deserve the punishment that it's getting. Uh, why is it so? Well, friends, if you look at it in, 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 in this way, maybe it will make more sense. Ham, when he went in to his father's tent, he not only... Uh, saw what was happening, he gloated over what he saw. He, as it were, in a perverse kind of way, rejoiced to see his father in this degraded position, drunken, naked, embarrassing position. Why? 
because he, he himself wasn't really there. He himself wasn't of the same mind and faith as Noah was. And so he, this was almost like an excuse for him to rejoice. Aha! This is the religion of my father. This is, and he wasn't for, uh, for Noah's faith and Noah's religion. But this is, uh, this is uh, something which he can latch onto and something that he delights in as an excuse for his own uh, sinful living. This is, uh, so this is his sin, not that, naked's, uh, not that he saw Noah's nakedness per se, but that he delighted in the spectacle before him because he's seen a righteous man uh, fall. Oh, he's, he's a sinner just like one of us. I'm sure this is the kind of thinking that was uh, in his mind. And in addition, he went out and he didn't just report what he saw uh, to his brothers, but he reported it with glee and with gladness. And he, all, he wanted them to get on his side and to join with him in, uh, uh, in, 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 in this disparaging uh, Noah. And of, not only has he uh, lost all filial respect for his father, but he's making a mockery of Noah and making him a jest, a jest out of him. This is what, how he's acting. This is how uh, he is behaving. And he totally deserves, really, the, the judgment that is going to come upon him because he's treating him in this way. So the reason, friends, why he, behind his contempt is a spiritual one. It's not just a natural incident that has happened. And that's why this incident, uh, I believe, is recorded uh, for us. Ham hated his father's uh, religion. And though he had been, he too had been an eyewitness of the flood and how it had wiped out, well, the whole world. And do you remember, uh, he'd heard the preaching and he also had heard the screams while he was in the ark. He would have heard the screams of the ungodly and yet it's made no difference to him. Yet, he hasn't uh, come to faith still. He disliked his father's righteousness and he disliked his father's uh, preaching. So to see him in this humiliating, humiliating state, well, that was a great coup for him. Where is your religion now? <coughs> look, or, or look on, on his own, on his tent. Father is like this. Oh, friends, this is Ham manifesting his true character. He is, this is where the ungodly line picks itself up and he shows himself to be ungodly still. What about the two brothers, Shem and Japheth? How would they react? Would they join in with the mockery and the making fun of their father? What would they do with the information that Ham had given to them? Well, and you look at verse 23, you see how they took care to cover their father's nakedness. It were taken, it's interesting, but in a really interesting way because they were taken through the verse step by step uh, uh, through their actions as if it goes, the whole narrative slows down uh, for a minute and we're taking one, one still picture after another still picture. Look at this. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. They went backwards in covering uh, him. They didn't look. 
upon their father's nakedness. They didn't want to look upon it. They wanted to retain a high view that they had of him. They wanted to retain the respect that they had of him. They knew that he was a good man. They knew that he was a righteous man. And they wouldn't allow this incident to mar their respect uh, for him. Oh, friends, there's a lesson uh, there for us, isn't it? That uh, instead, uh, uh, even today rather, uh, people have this fascination, people have this perverse interest in looking at other people's sins. Our newspapers, our tabloids especially, mention a lot of these things, the sins of other people. Why? Well, because it sells newspapers. And people, uh, even the, the broadsheets, uh, are now including these kinds of things. And uh, instead of looking away, people now are looking into and want and prying into what's happening behind closed doors. Well, we, we mustn't have such, a, such an interest ourselves in, in, in these things. Love, especially amongst Christians, love covers a multitude of sins. Wonderful verse, isn't it? Covers. When you think here was Japheth, Japheth and Shem covering their father's uh, sin, uh, love also covers a multitude of sins. We don't to go around gossiping about other people's sins. Yes, there is a place for if there is serious sin in the camp, in the church, those things must be brought up. They cannot be swept under the carpet. They must be addressed. But uh, at, uh, at the same time, uh, a, lot of, a lot of things which are happening, well, we don't have to uh, broadcast them to other people. Verse uh, 24, And Noah awoke from his, his wine, he became sober again, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Well, in his semi-conscious state, he seems to have become, been aware uh, of what had happened, or it had been revealed to him what had happened, uh, what Ham had done unto him. But we must here is Noah, this, this good man, this, we could say, Christian man. And we could say, well, surely the first thing that he did when he came to soberness was to feel great regret and great sorrow that he had sinned against the Lord. And I'm sure that the first thing he would have done would, would be to get down on his knees and to confess his sin to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, what a fool I've been that I've done this thing. And he would have repented and confessed his sin. To, to, I've brought uh, dishonor to your name. I've been a stumbling block to my family, to my, to my sons, to my children. I've caused them to stumble. I've uh, given them this appalling example. And I'm sure that uh, this was the very first thing that Noah would have done to admit his sin and to seek a forgiveness from God. But something else is also here, friends. Not only did Noah awake to his sin, but he also awake, awoke, in a sense, to the true condition and the true spiritual state of his son, Ham. Perhaps all along, as a father, he had had very uh, good thoughts, positive thoughts about Ham. And he was thinking, perhaps, yes, he is truly uh, saved. You know, sometimes parents don't always not always the best judges of our children's uh, state or our grandchildren's state. And uh, here, 
perhaps this is what happened also with, uh, with Noah. Uh, he had uh, a, a, maybe he had a good idea of this, this child's true standing and, or, or standing before the Lord. And perhaps he thought, well, he, he also uh, is of the faith. But this is what happened, opens his eyes. And he is now aware of, well, this is what uh, he is really like. Ham is unconverted still. And so he is reconciled, in a sense, to now the destinies. Perhaps before he was unwilling to acknowledge it, but now he sees clearly that this is what Ham is like. And so verse 25 was not a knee-jerk reaction on the part of Noah. It's not because he's angry and resentful that, he's, that he says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. But uh, this is a prophetic word. This is the first recorded uh, prophecy given by a man. And Noah, sorry, Noah is fully sober and in his right mind and under the influence of the Spirit as he is speaking uh, these things. It's not out of anger that he is saying it. Well, what, are, what is this prophecy for his uh, three for the children here? Firstly, cursed be Canaan. Who is Canaan? Canaan uh, is uh, one of Ham's uh, sons, the grandson uh, of Noah. But why, you may ask, is Canaan singled out? Was he complicit with his father uh, in exposing Noah, perhaps? Was he also ungodly like his father? Most likely. And uh, God never judges unrighteously. God wouldn't curse a person unrighteously. So there must have been something similar uh, in Canaan, this one son of, uh, of Ham. The line of Canaan, uh, therefore, is cursed. They're cut off uh, from God's blessings. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. That is, they'll be the most abject slaves. Not only slaves, but the slave slaves. Uh, this is the position that they will eventually be reduced to. What about Ham? Did he escape the judgment? Well, no, because uh, his sin would also have been punished, and his sin was a great one. And uh, he sees, uh, and we can see the severity even of his sin in the way that not only uh, he is, in a sense, punished, but his posterity and uh, is punished. So it's a, it's a serious thing that uh, he has done. Now, friends, uh, it's important here to state because <laughs> many, many people think, and you may have come across this, that uh, the black people, the African people, were cursed. And, uh, and they use it as an excuse for making, for, for the slave trade. And for example, in South Africa even, as, apart from the slave trade, it was used by a number of uh, white people. This, this verse is used as biblical justification for keeping the black people under slavery as, uh, or under, under the thumb uh, via the apartheid system. And uh, it has sadly been used by a number of people, but it's incorrect. Their view and their understanding and their uh, exposition of the scripture here uh, is, is, uh, is wrong because it's not Ham that is cursed, it's Canaan. Ham had more than one son. 
Ham had four sons, but only one of them is cursed. And that is not the black community. That was actually a white brownish community, you could say. Canaan, well, they went and they, they, they resided. Uh, as you know, Cain's descendants settled mainly in Palestine and uh, in Syria. And it was on this line that the curse fell, not on the other uh, sons. They were still, uh, in a sense, under God's, uh, God's blessing. But it's true regarding the other descendants of Ham, yes, that the African people and the many of the nations of the world uh, came from, these, uh, from, uh, uh, from them. For example, Egypt, Ethiopia, Sudan, well, they can all be traced back to Cush, another son of Ham, and also from Put, and these things we'll mention, uh, God willing, next week. Put, another son, came uh, the people who settled in places like uh, Libya and Algeria and uh, Morocco and Mali that we pray for. They came also from Ham, uh, Ham's, uh, uh, himself. So remember that because people do um, get it uh, get it wrong and sometimes use it to blame uh, Christians so verse 26 we move on to the blessing that came upon uh, Shem and he said blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant Shem the people who came from Shem as you know the Semitic people the Jew the Jews and the Arabs but uh, the Jews especially uh, here in mind for the blessing because through them the godly line is going to be picked up and through them the Messiah is going to come. But look at the verse, how it's put. It's not blessed be Shem, but blessed be the Lord God of Shem. It is the God of Shem that is blessed. The Lord God Jehovah is in mind and that speaks to us of the covenant relationship that is being uh, established uh, with is going to be established with Shem and with his line. Shem is blessed, of course, because he is in this covenant relationship. Psalm 144, verse 15. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And uh, so Shem is blessed because he is in this covenant relationship. The godly line is going to con continue through, the, through Shem, through the Jewish people. Abraham is going to come from this line. And also from Abraham, of course, Christ will come. And salvation in a human sense, fleshly sense, we say, is of the Jews. Because it came through this line. And Canaan shall be his servant. Well, think of it, friends. When Moses was writing this, this book, Genesis... They, was, they were on the verge of entering into Canaan. They were on the verge of entering into that land. And here they have this prophecy that Canaan shall be the servant of Shem. They were Semitic people. They were going into, into the land of Canaan. And now they have this encouragement that uh, God is going to give them the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites would be their servants. And that, as we know, that's exactly what happened. God gave them the land, and uh, we read even of people like the Gibeonites uh, who became the servants of, uh, of Israel, and they became those manual workers uh, ta uh, tasked with the felling of trees and the drawing of water. So the word of God 
uh, came uh, true. And that's just one instance that we mentioned. Verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth refers to the Indo, or from, from Japheth came the Indo-Europeans, where most people in this country descend from, the, uh, the Europeans. And uh, here, here we are told that uh, Japheth, God shall enlarge Japheth, give him a large part of the earth. Uh, he will be dominant uh, in the earth. And again, history uh, bears this out. Remember how Greece, when Greece came to power, that was followed by Rome. And since then, even uh, this uh, uh, Indo-Europeans really have been the, the dominant uh, group uh, in the world. Dominant and powerful politically, powerful culturally, and even materially, it seems, that they are enlarged in this way. But friends, the really interesting thing here is in that phrase, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, because that's referring prophetically to the Gentiles coming into the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Gentiles being made a part uh, of this great salvation. Yes, salvation is of the Jews, but he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. The Gentiles also uh, shall be brought in. Gentile believers uh, joining together with uh, Jewish believers to form that international uh, church of Jesus Christ. Side by side, dwelling uh, together. The Lord God of Shem is honored now by the Gentiles uh, as well as those who are believing uh, Jews. And uh, a wonderful uh, prophecy of the church and uh, what it would look like in the, after the time of Christ and what we see uh, in the world uh, even uh, today. Well, it's amazing, isn't it, friends? The salvation is of the Jews, and here we are, Japhets, Japhetites, if you could say, uh, who are studying, what? We study a Jewish book. Uh, we study, uh, uh, in a sense, you could say, uh, a, a Jewish religion, but uh, we study uh, these things, the revelations that were prized by the, the Jews, but we, we, these are the things that we are, we are now uh, studying together with and we're now appreciating. We're thinking, we think a lot about Israel. We think a lot about what happened with the history of Israel. We make it a, a source of study. And it's a, we've come into the tents, as it were, of Shem and are, are gathering uh, lessons from these things. Of course, we know what, what happened to Israel for us. It was the picture of the church. Uh, going, uh, traveling through that wilderness and on those journeys. But it's interesting also, isn't it, that we are studying historically and as believers, spending so much time focusing on those things which happened uh, to that one uh, nation of Israel. But friends, just in closing, <laughs> just to say this, salvation is not by ancestry, in case we get it wrong. I don't think we will. But uh, salvation is by faith in Christ not by where we come from or what nationality we have. And remember, there are exceptions. Rahab, the prostitute, was a Canaanite, and yet she was saved. The Syrophoenician woman who came to Christ for the healing of her daughter, well, she was a descendant from Canaan, and she too believed in the Lord. So whosoever will, that 
No one is closed off from that call. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 28, 29, the end of a remarkable life. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. The end of one remarkable life. One stain only on his character, otherwise righteous. A man of faith, a man who believed God, a man who was moved with fear, Hebrews tells us. A preacher, a prophet, a man of faith and obedience, a man for us to uh, follow uh, his example. 